Well, let's take God's Word this morning and turn to the book of Romans, Romans chapter number 1. Romans chapter number 1. We'll read here verse 1 down to verse number 7 and get right into the message. I will be praying for your pastor this week. He has an incredible opportunity to speak on the campus of Ohio State and um, to address those topics of socialism. What does the Bible have to say about it? And how does God see socialism? We ought to be concerned about how God sees anything. And um, we ought to love what God loves and we ought to hate what God hates. And um, that's a mark of spiritual maturity. Romans chapter 1. If you don't mind, would you stand if you're able to stand for the reading of our text? We'll read these seven verses, pray, and get right into the message. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God, which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power, according to the Spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead, by whom we have received grace and apostleship, for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom are you also the called of Jesus Christ. To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I pray that you would use me to encourage and be a help and a blessing to the wonderful people here today. I pray for Pastor Jim as he's away. I pray that you would do a great mighty work there in the services Bless and use this time to encourage his heart. And uh, Lord, I know that you will make him a blessing to those there. And Lord, would you bless our time here this morning and may your perfect will be done in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, I appreciate the knowledge that your pastor has on the Bible, the Bible itself and the history behind the Bible. And he's certainly been a, a voice for that. And I thank God for that. It's been said the Bible is not the book of the week. It's not the book of the month, nor is it the book of the year. It's the book of the ages. And um, I, like your pastor, have collected a few books from time to time. Um, his wife said, just take whatever you need here today. She didn't say books, but hey, you know, um, I, I'll just take a picture of some, of, uh, make a stack and say, hey, your wife said whatever I needed. And so I took some of your books. It just so happens they're probably the best ones in your library, but no problem. You know, I like him. I do have a lot of books. I really do. I have some good books. I have books that have been a blessing to me. But I've never had a book that even compares or come even close to this book. You see, this is the book that changed my life. This is the book that centered around while we're here. And all the books that are in my library would have never been written if it wasn't for this book. Because it was this book that inspired those people to write and dig and get truth and make application for the time period in which they were living in. And, and by the way, every time we get into the Word of God, there ought to be uh, an anticipation that God is going to give to you and I something that's going to help us. Some application I feel like it's a waste of my time to preach the Word of God if people aren't applying the Word of God to their lives. And so I want to help and encourage you in that regard this morning. 
But there, there's no book that has the power as the book that you hold in your hands this morning. And by the way, be grateful that you have a copy of God's Word. There are so many people that do not. Do you realize that over half the world's population does not even have one verse of Scripture in their language? 7.7 billion people in the world, and not even half of those 7.7 billion people have one verse in their language that they can read. I'm going to tell you, we are a blessed people, no doubt about it. And God's powerful word changes our lives. It's changed the world radically, dramatically, eternally, and down through the ages. And as we come to the book of Romans, Romans is a book that has been called the Constitution of Christianity. It's a book that God has used to stir people, religious people who found Christ. Because you can be very religious and be lost. I, listen, I'm not about enduring a religion. I'm about enjoying salvation. And there's a lot of people today, that's what they're doing. They're enduring some religion. But hey, this morning, I got good news for you. You can enjoy salvation and, and enjoy the fellowship of God's people. When you come to chapter 1 and verse number 1, I want you to look at the first word, Paul. That's not always been his name. Don't, just, just remember that God changed him. He was Saul who met God on, on the road to Damascus. And God changed everything about him. We'll look at a few things this morning. There was a Roman Catholic monk. His name was Martin Luther. Martin Luther had tried to get right with God by ritual, by penance, by good deeds, by all the, all the things of the church, but his heart was empty. He was in a pilgrimage to Rome, and in Rome there were some stairs, believed to be the, the stairs up to Pilate's judgment hall. And on those stairs to Pilate's judgment hall, they believed that the drops of blood from Christ had dropped on those very stairs. So Martin Luther went to Rome and got on his knees in this place called the Scala Santa, the holy stairs. And upon his knees, he began to pray on every step, kissing each step on the way up, wanting God to bless him and try to get closer to God. Martin Luther said, I was no closer to God when I got to the top than I was at the bottom. He realized that that was not what was needed but when he came to Romans chapter 1, notice verse number 17. For therein is the righteousness of God revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. When Martin Luther came to that passage there, he said he burst alive in his heart. The just shall live by faith. And he saw justification by faith, which was the theme of the book of Romans. And he was saved and born again, he realized all his good deeds, all his endeavors, all his activity to try to get closer to God would never work. He could never be satisfied. How sad that some people are so dedicated. Oh, they've got the deeds. They've got the religion. They're loyal to a religion, but they don't have a loving relationship with Jesus Christ. There was another man that we know in history. His name is John Wesley. Religious, well-motivated, left India in hopes to reach others. Went to what is now called the state of Georgia, or I would call purgatory. He met some Moravian missionaries, and these Moravian missionaries had life, beauty, joy of Jesus. 
but he knew they had something he didn't have. And back in the 18th century, he went back to London to a place called Aldersgate. And he went to a little meeting. And after studying, and studying in particular the book of Romans, this man said this. John Wesley said, I went to America to convert the Indians, but who will convert me? As John Wesley heard this introduction to the book of Romans, this preface to the book of Romans, he said, I felt my heart strangely warmed and I had the assurance of my salvation. And out of that experience, you had the great Wesleyan revival that swept across England. We've had many hymns of the faith because of this man. God changed him. He's a new person. Isn't it amazing that God can make someone a brand new person? A new creature in Christ. What a wonderful thing. That was something that Paul, he understood. In fact, do you know that the name of Paul means little? Do you know the name Saul means large? So here, when God changed his life, think about it. He made, he made Saul, who was big, but he made Paul and gave him that new name, small. He said, well, why is that significant? Because I'm going to tell you something. You can be too big to serve God, but you can never be too small. You can never be too small for God to use you. You can never be too young for God to use you. But you know what? You can be too big. And by the way, God's not interested in that. God's interested in changing people's lives. God is interested in them becoming a new new creature. I think it's interesting too that chapter 1 verse 1 begins with Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ. He begins the letter with his name. You and I, typically if we write a letter, we would write the letter and sign our name at the bottom. Sometimes I will skip the letter and, and just go immediately look to who signed the card to see who it's from. Well, there was a preacher, he was preaching, and there was a man in the congregation who didn't particularly like him. He thought, well, I'll play a practical joke on the preacher. So he wrote a note on a, on a piece of paper, handed it to an usher, and, and the usher thought, well, this is important, I, I, I'll take it to the preacher. So he brings it to the platform, and the preacher opens it, and it has one word on it in big block letters, F-O-O-L, fool. The preacher looked at it, came back to the pulpits and, made a, and said this. He said, many times I've received a letter from somebody who forgot to sign their name. This is the first time a man ever signed his name and forgot to write the letter. <laughs> Paul didn't forget to write his name or the letter. But under the inspiration of God, he writes to us. Here was a man who was a very religious, educated man. But I want you to notice something about him. When God made a new person out of Paul, Paul says here, I became a servant of Jesus Christ. And by the way, there's nothing better than being a servant of Jesus Christ. There's nothing more rewarding. There's nothing more fulfilling than to serve God and be, be a part of what he is doing. I saw the sign there. It says, building something eternal. Aren't you thankful that God lets us in on that? That we get to be a part of something that will outlast our lifetime? I mean, think about this. This here, for decade after decade after decade, will be a reminder to this community that there's a gospel preaching place in Sydney, Ohio. 
And what a wonderful testimony of this generation to to be able to invest in something that goes beyond this generation. Because don't forget, this generation of saints will answer to God for this generation of sinners. And there's coming a day that we're going to give an account for that. And praise the Lord that God makes us new and lets us in on that. And the Apostle Paul said, I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus. He had a new purpose. He was a new, he was a new person, but he had a new purpose. And be, may I say that we all do. We all have a new purpose. When you come to Christ and accept his greatest gift of himself to pay for your sin debt, he can make you a new person when you receive him, but then he gives you a new purpose for living. Hey, don't, don't miss what God has for you. God has, God has a great purpose for you, and, and you can be a part of that. I can tell you this. If I could back up 30 years, almost 30 years, and make the same decision in a youth conference to serve the Lord, I would do it again. I don't have any regrets. I have no regrets of following the Lord. None. My life has been so much better than I ever imagined it to be as a 17 or 18-year-old. When I was 18 years old, I asked the Lord to help me. I was already saved, but I needed the Lord to help me. I was not in a good position. I put myself in some terrible situations. Came to wit's end, really, as an 18-year-old, and I got right with God. I'm going to tell you something. It's been an exciting road now for almost 30 years. Paul says, I'm the guy writing the book. But let me tell you who I'm writing about. I'm writing about the Son of God. I'm writing about Jesus Christ. You see, you can't, look, you can have religion with, you you can have religion and be lost. But you can't have Christianity without Christ. I was just reading yesterday in our in a meeting that we had there at the church about when when they come to the to the empty tomb, the statement is made, but his body wasn't there. You think about that this morning. Were there more unbelievers in that day? Absolutely. Were there more enemies of Christ than there were followers? Absolutely. Were there people that were completely against the teachings of Christ and the followers of Christ? Absolutely. Do you realize they only had to do one thing to stop the whole thing? They just had to do one thing and it would have stopped all of it. It would have stopped all the following. It would have stopped all the, all the teachings. It would stop everything. They only had to do one thing. The enemies had to do just one thing. Pro, pro, provide the body of Christ. That's it. That's it. But you know what? They couldn't do that. <laughs> they couldn't produce the body. Because he walked out of there. He walked out of that tomb. And I'm going to tell you, because he walked out of there, you and I can be a new person with a new purpose. John Phillips said, he said his life was perfectly holy. He never looked with lust. He never uttered a hasty, unkind, and cruel, frivolous word. He never entertained an impure thought. He was never accused of by conscience, never inflamed by a wrongful passion, never out of step with the will of God. His time was never wasted. His talent never debased for selfish ends. His influence never bad. His judgment never wrong. He never had to apologize for anything that he did or retract a single word that he said. He was never too late, too soon, never upset, never insipid, shallow, or afraid. He lived on the earth approximately 12,000 days. 
and every one of them was a marvel of holiness. He was holy, harmless, undefiled, separate from sinners. Hebrews 7.26, from the summit of the Mount of Transfiguration, he could have stepped straight into glory. He had, abs- he had absolute victory from the moment he drew his first breath in that Bethlehem barn until the moment he closed his eyes in death on the cross of Calvary. He was declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness. Hey, don't you love it? Hey, we've got a Savior that's perfect and loving and merciful. And you know what? He loves you right where you're at. He'll meet you right where you're at. Look, you don't have to change for him to take you in. But I'm going to tell you something. If he takes you in, he'll change you. And that's in a good way, friend. He will change your life. And and, and honestly, if you really accept him and welcome him into your heart and you're sincere about it, you'll never have a regret with what he does with you. What he does with you and what he does for you, you will never regret it. Isn't it amazing what the Lord can do? Oh, what a Savior. Think about that. Don't ever lose the wonder of it all. Hey, don't ever lose the excitement about your relationship with Christ. Don't ever, listen, don't ever lose the excitement about being around God's people, coming together to worship Him and sing songs to Him and look to Him and realize, boy, we've been blessed. Well, this is the month of Thanksgiving. And by the way, most people skip Thanksgiving. It just goes from Halloween to Christmas. I mean, just go to the stores. I mean, the decorations goes from Halloween to Christmas. They just skip Thanksgiving. There's not enough money in Thanksgiving. There's a whole lot more money in Halloween and Christmas than in Thanksgiving. But you realize that Thanksgiving ought to be one of the biggest days of a Christian's life. You know what? I'm thankful to be an American. I'm thankful that I had the privilege of, to be born, raised in, in, in America. What a great place. And by the way, if it's not as great as, if, if it's not all that great, then you tell me why people are doing everything they can to get here. Now, I know some of them are coming out of jealousy to destroy us, but let me tell you something. For the most part, most part, people are coming here because they know it's a better way of life. Hey, we are rich. In comparison to the rest of the world, hey, America is rich. You name one place that has more than we do can't do it you can't name one place that has more to offer than we have right here in america we ought to be thankful that's what i was getting to in my uh sunday school class earlier um i was trying to get to is because so many times we have the sin of ingratitude the beginning of gratitude is the expectation of nothing and by the way we have all benefited greatly we have so very much oh what a savior I love that song. Oh, what a Savior. Oh, hallelujah. His heart was broken on Calvary. His hands were nail scarred. His side was riven. He gave his lifeblood for even me. Isn't it amazing what the Lord can do? Paul, notice if you would please, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel. God had separated him. You know what God wants to do with you? He wants to separate you for his purpose. He's made you a new person, but he separates you for a new purpose. And he has a, and he has a new plan for your life. And if you and I really, truly 
get a hold of this. Look at verse number 14. Paul says this. He says, I'm a debtor. I'm a debtor. I'm a debtor both to the Greeks and the barbarians, both to the wise and unto the unwise. So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. He says, hey, I've been separated for this. I'm ready. Why is he ready? I'm a debtor. Can I ask you this morning, are you a debtor? I am. I'm a debtor. I owe a debt. I've, I've made this statement in the flesh. I don't owe anybody anything. Now, that's a fleshly statement. I don't owe anybody anything. That's not true. I owe everybody the gospel. I owe everybody to share Christ with them. Think about how many people it took from 2,000 years ago, the time of Christ, Think about how many people had to be faithful, separated into the gospel and ready to preach the gospel. How many did it take to make that chain from Jesus in the 12 to the day you got saved? To the very day that you got saved, how many people was it that transferred that good news from the time of the disciples until it reached you? Because I'm going to tell you something. I believe when we get to the judgment seat of Christ, I believe we're going to be thanking all those people. Boy, thank you for being separated into the gospel. Thank you for uh, being a debtor and transferring the gospel from one generation to the next. And, And the greatest thing that you and I can ever do is to own the responsibility of being a debtor. Why is this building here? I'm going to tell you why it's here. Somebody needs Jesus. Why do you have Sunday school classes? Somebody needs Jesus. Why does your pastor tire himself out and going here, going there and doing... Somebody needs Jesus. And you know what? You and I need to be spent for him too. A little boy came forward in a church service and he wanted to be baptized and he... They said, well, son, tell us how you got saved. He said, well, I did my part and God did his. Well, they didn't like the answer. They said, well, tell us about your part. He said, I did the sinning and he did the saving. And this morning, the good news is, is when you recognize you've done the sinning, he does the saving. You don't save yourself. He saves you. And aren't you thankful that he doesn't do anything halfway? He didn't say, I made a down payment at Calvary. You take over the installments. I made a down payment and you have to pay it off. No, Jesus paid it all, all to him I owe. Sin and left their crimson stain, but he washed it white as snow. He paid in full the debt that I owed for my sins. Hey, I'm going to tell you something. Everybody qualifies for saving who's a sinner. So if you're not a sinner, you don't qualify. But if you're a sinner, you qualify and he'll save you. And if he has saved you and you've got that settled, let me ask you, aren't we really debtors to him? We really are. We're debtors to him. We need to make the most 
of the life that he's given to us. We need to do everything we can. Everything we can to get this message out. Hey, I'm not a complex kind of person. I'm pretty simple. The message this morning is pretty simple. Do you know him? If you do, what are you going to do with it? What are you going to do? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you for your many blessings. We thank you for the privilege to be here at Grace Baptist Church today. Lord, I love you. I thank you that you love me.